Hello and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua and today will be our last elaboration on the second part of the Vin Armani Dim Age interview. And so to give a reminder of where we left off in the previous episode, I was elaborating on this aspect of powers and principalities and using the comparison that Vin was using and that I will be using especially in next season and that would be that of the kingdom of God or the biblical perspective compared to the church of woke and the prince of this world is how Vin describes it. And so I kind of lay those things out and that's what we did in the previous episode. So this episode, I'm going to get a little bit more into the secular view and also talk about the difference between the two because in all of these things, there are different layers that you can bring out and different perspectives and they're all beneficial. And so since this is not particularly a religious podcast, although I know I'm covering a lot of religious content right now, it's just part of it. I did not expect that. That's just where it went. So I am not going to shy away from it. But with that, this episode will kind of get into this idea of self-sustaining systems and what that looks like and talk about that in relation to the examples that Vin gave with that. I'll also get into the symbolism of temples and idols and drawing some parallels between that symbolically and these comparisons we're making now. I'll talk more about the tree analogy and expand that out to multiple trees and use, again, the biblical example and the Church of Woke example and what that looks like. I'll talk a little bit about masks since Vin brought that up near the end of that section of the interview, and that should conclude it, and that should conclude the elaborations on that part, and we can get back into the third part of the interview in the following episode. Also, as a side note, I am currently, as I record this, I have in another tab the beginnings of a subscribe star account. That was something that was mentioned to me by another listener that, hey, we should probably have some other options here. I mentioned that, I think, in the previous episode as well. Well, I am actually doing that. So I'm going to start a subscribe star account if you are somebody that wants to contribute to the show and help pitch in for all of the expenses with this podcast and all of the resources research materials I get and these types of things, please feel free to do so. I have always done Patreon, but I will now also have the option of doing Subscribestar. And if anybody is on Patreon and would rather support Subscribestar instead of Patreon, feel free to switch over. Subscribestar is one that has a lot of the same perks. It's a really good format and they have a lot of good tools and they do not have uh, the same level of censorship and things like that. So it should be a really good option for us. And that is something that I, as long as I finish it, I will put a link for that in the show notes and I'll put a link for it on the website page as well. With that, I will pick back up with where I left off in the previous elaboration. Now, getting out of the religious and into the secular, we have these other self-sustaining systems, whether it be technology, corporations, governments, the Church of Woke, or other systems. And for the most part, these are not associated with the Most High God, and these are not even necessarily associated with anything spiritual or religious, but they can still be understood within that same framework. Again, like Venn talked about how the ancients would have viewed a self-sustaining system system like that in a similar way as they would have viewed a god, or they would have viewed it as a god, depending on how you look at that, and probably depending on the context here. But the point is that these are other systems, and these can be looked at from a different perspective. So when you look at the corruptions that happen with the material beings, us, with humanity, through the influence of these self-sustaining systems and of these spiritual beings— There is a good example of this here when you think of secret knowledge. So in a previous episode, I talked about how you have this theme throughout mythology and throughout ancient religions that there was a rebellion 
in the realm of the gods and secret knowledge or secret technology or something was given to humankind. And that is viewed as uh, oftentimes, at least, a positive thing at first, but then ends up leading to warfare, destruction, enslavement, pain, evil, these types of things. And so you could apply that same thing here. And in the context that we're talking about with these other self-sustaining systems of our time that aren't necessarily religious or spiritual, what would be this secret knowledge? Well, that would be the technology. And so is the technology bad? Well, no, it is not bad. In and of itself, it is neutral and it can be used for good. Definitely think of something like the internet. But what ends up happening? It ends up getting used for evil and it leads to destruction anyway. That is the way things go. And that is the cycle that we are shown over and over and over again in all of these different myths and fables and religions. That's always the way it goes. And as you look at how technology is being used to this day, Yes, there's plenty of good being done, but also look at the enslavement. Look at the control of elites and of a ruling class. Look at the censorship that's going on. Look at all of these things going on. It's not necessarily positive. If you read Theodore Kaczynski, he talks about how this is just inevitable, that that's what happens. Once you break a certain level of technology, it will automatically lead to the destruction of the society. There is no stopping it. It starts to become its own self-sustaining system, and it picks up steam, and it is what controls the evolution of a society, and that doesn't lead to good places, which is why he thought that it would be good to step back uh, from modern technology, and he had some very good arguments for that. I also have a long passage, and I apologize for that, it's not too long though, from the book Technopoly, was one I recently read, and this section is coming right after where the author is talking about the failures of the education system and the lack of meaning and purpose in modern society and culture, and some of the things that he says about this really resonated with me. Uh, given these topics that I'm discussing in this episode here. So I'm going to go ahead and read what Neil Postman wrote in Technopoly in chapter 10. Quote, Into this void comes the Technopoly story, with its emphasis on progress without limits, rights without responsibilities, and technology without cost. The Technopoly story is without a moral center. It puts in its place efficiency, interest, and economic advance. It promises heaven on earth through the conveniences of technological progress. It casts aside all traditional narratives and symbols that suggest stability and orderliness and tells, instead, of a life of skills, technical expertise, and the ecstasy of consumption." Its purpose is to produce functionaries for an ongoing technopoly. It answers Bloom by saying that the story of Western civilization is irrelevant. It answers the political left by saying that there is indeed a common culture whose name is technopoly and whose key symbol is now the computer, toward which there must be neither irreverence nor blasphemy. It even answers Hirsch by saying that there are items on his list that, if thought about too deeply and taken too seriously, will interfere with the progress of technology. I grant that it is somewhat unfair to expect educators by themselves to locate stories that would reaffirm our national culture. Such narratives must come to them, to some degree, from the political sphere. If our politics is symbolically impoverished, it is difficult to imagine how teachers can provide a weighty purpose to education. I am writing this chapter during the fourth week of the war against Iraq. The rhetoric accompanying the onset of war is still fresh in my mind. It began with the president's calling Americans to arms for the sake of their lifestyle. This was followed by the Secretary of State's request that they fight to protect their jobs. Then came the appeal, at a late and convenient hour, as it were, to thwart the, quote, naked aggression of a, quote, little Hitler. I do not say here that going to war was unjustified. My point is that with the Cold War at an end, our political leaders now struggle as never before 
four to find a vital narrative and accompanying symbols that would awaken a national spirit and a sense of resolve. The citizens themselves struggle as well. Having drained many of their traditional symbols of serious meaning, they resort somewhat pitifully to sporting yellow ribbons as a means of symbolizing their fealty to a cause. After the war, the yellow ribbons will fade from sight, but the question of who we are and what we represent will remain. I'm not going to comment much on that quote. I just thought it was relevant, and I hope that you can get some out of that as well and hear how I think he's getting at a lot of the same things that we are getting at now, and he was writing that much earlier than now, just like a lot of these historical cycles and patterns where we talk about these other people pointing these things out long ago. These are not new, of course. So getting back to the idea of self-sustaining systems and secular versus spiritual, Basically, you have these systems, these self-sustaining systems that could be looked at from an ancient perspective like a god, but they're not necessarily viewed, and I don't think most of us think that there is a consciousness that is involved with every corporation and every conglomerate of corporations such as big tech or anything like that, that there might be some sort of consciousness that is behind things that uses these self-sustaining systems, but not that every self-sustaining system itself is a spiritual entity with a consciousness. That's at least not the way I see it, and I don't think that's the way most people see it, even looking at things um, to this level that we are looking at here. But the conscious entities still do exist from this perspective when you go spiritual or go religious, and they use the immaterial entity as a tool to manifest influence in the world. And so the corporation is a self-sustaining system. Humans would be the entities, the conscious entities behind the corporation that hold the power. They are the gods behind the company, so to say. And an example of this, going back to the octopus example, um, one that was pointed out in that quote was the standard oil interests. And behind standard oil would be the Rockefellers. So there are humans, there is a family dynasty or an individual, there are human beings, consciousness, behind the self-sustaining system of Standard Oil, which is generally thought of as more than just one company as being a more broad term. But that's kind of the way it plays out there. And if you go to the octopus example from a more broad perspective, like looking at it like big tech and the way it was listed in that quote, where it was financiers, it was politicians, it was Standard Oil interests, it was all of these things. There is this cabal that is working behind the scenes to influence the world around us and how things play out. Well, the system, the self-sustaining system, is the octopus. That is this conglomeration of all these different tentacles that are reaching into these different aspects of our world and of our political system. And then the Anglo-American establishment that would be the god, the spiritual entity behind the octopus. And again, although we're talking about it in these frames, this is inherently a more secular thing because the gods in this sense are humans. It's not that there is a conscious spiritual entity behind it. But I also use the phrase Anglo-American establishment and use that specific example of the octopus because it correlates with both the quote that I read about the octopus as well as mentioning Carol Quigley, who describes and wrote a book called The Anglo-American Establishment. And so I'm trying to connect a lot of threads behind the scenes here. So if you are familiar with all these, I'm sure you'll catch that. But the next example gets out of the purely secular and gets into the spiritual and religious. And this would be looking at a city, kind of like Vin discussed. To use that example, a city is a self-sustaining system. That would be the first aspect, the self-sustaining system aspect. But then there there is this spiritual entity or consciousness behind that city, the god behind the city. That would be the example of Athena. And so even going with this example, you can still look at this as a secular thing, and you could say that there's not really a spiritual being. There really aren't gods, but people believe there are gods, and so therefore they're attributing these characteristics to something, and 
that conglomeration of characteristics that people believe in end up acting as if it were a god and guiding and leading the culture of the city and the things that go on in the material world. And so that's what's going on here. And then if you bring that forward to today and you use the Church of Woke as the self-sustaining system, it's not that the Church of Woke itself is a conscious spiritual being, but there is a reference that Venn makes to who is the God behind the Church of Woke? What is the power or principality guiding the Church of Woke? And so that's something that I think we need to answer, we need to look into. Because these patterns and parallels, they are the way the world works. This is reality. We are describing reality. And so if there is a missing piece but we see that that piece is supposed to be there in every other pattern, in every other situation, then we know that that piece is missing. Not that it just isn't there in this example, but it is in every other. No, no, there is a missing piece that we can identify. We can figure it out. It does exist. And so to get into this question, I wanted to bring up the idea of idols and gods. So especially when you go back in history and you see that humans wanted to appease the gods because they wanted to use the gods for their own human ends. They wanted the gods' protection. They wanted the gods' strength. They wanted the gods' wisdom, whatever the case may be. And so what ends up happening here is that humans try to make a deal with the gods. And in order to do so, and as a part of doing so, they've got to bring the gods down to their level, down into their material world, into their city, so to say. But it's really hard to do because the gods live up on high, whether it's Mount Olympus or up in the heavens or whatever perspective the people group is coming from. So you have to bring the gods down. The way to do this is to give the gods a place to go and a reason to come down. So you build them a house, you build them a temple, and you build it up on a mountain. So you have this, in a sense, man-made mountain of the gods, and you give them a place to live up on high. And then you give the god offerings. You give them bribes. You give them payments. You give them sacrifices. And so this is supposed to entice that god to come down onto the mountain you have chosen, to the house that you have built it, and come down to your level where you can interact and use this god. And it's at a price. It's an exchange. It's not that the god is just going to be trapped to do whatever you tell him. It's that there is this relationship between the god and you, between the god and the city. And so at the very end of building the temple and you have the sacrifices, you have all the things, it's ended with placing an idol in the temple. So you make an idol and that idol is going to represent the god, but in some way it is a way for that god to materially manifest. Whether that god comes into the idol and exists only in that idol, or whether a portion or an aspect of that god, a representation of that god, is in some way physically manifested in the idol, or if it's a representation, there are different peoples that uh, interpreted this in many different ways and were going for different things, but it's the same idea, that you put the idol, you put an image of that god in the temple, and that somehow creates this connection with the spiritual realm when that god comes down to your level and inhabits and manifests in that temple, in that idol. That's what's going on here. Once you have achieved this, then you still have to appease the gods. You still have to make these deals. You have to do something in return for the gods' power on your side. And so that was kind of the template. That's the pattern. That's the symbolism that was going on in that time frame. So then bring this forward into the aspect of the Church of Woke. Well, one thing to remember here is that the Church of Woke is existing in a different age, in a mystical age, an immaterial age, a spiritual age, and it manifests in this way. It has immaterial manifestations versus looking at these other time periods that were in a more materialistic age. And hopefully you remember from a few episodes ago getting into all of that. But to then play out the parallel, these are going to be immaterial aspects. It's not a physical temple that the Church of Woke builds. No, it is big tech. It is social media. It's an immaterial world. And so the place that the god of the Church of Woke 
is going to inhabit will have to be an immaterial place. Now, what does that look like when you're talking about a mountain or up on high? Well, this would be cyberspace. This would be the internet. This would be in the ether, so to say. It's not on our material world and our material realm. It is something higher than that, another layer. And so that would be the location of the temple that the god will manifest in and will use and inhabit. And so then you have to give these sacrifices in order to interact with this god. And this takes place in the temple, in this virtual realm. You give up something, you sacrifice something, whether that be data or privacy, or you give your trust, your faith. You let out your innermost thoughts, your emotions, your pictures, your private things. You sacrifice these things. You give these things up in this realm. And then you finally have to have an idol, an image of that god in order to manifest that god in the material world. And so this is where you actually do have to have something material in order to truly interact with the material world and control it. And so this idol is actually the self. It is a self-focused religion, and the idol, the image of the god, is you. It is the individual. It is the self. And so the idol then, you, you become woke. Wokeness fills you and manifests in you. All of the ideologies and doctrines of the religion become manifest in you, and you end up then interacting with the material world and acting out the desires of this god, of this religion. And so that is what's going on here. And I'll get into the self-focus a little later on when I do a parallel of the tree. But with this, you still have that question. What is the power or principality? What is the God behind the Church of Woke? And I think the answer that I would give or Vin would give would be that is the prince of this world. When we are using this biblical example, that is the adversary. It's it's not the prince of a given region of, or of a little territory. It's the prince of the entire world. And so if you go to the biblical account, the adversary is given dominion on the earth. And so it's not just a certain area, even though other spiritual beings are given dominion over certain areas, whether those be territorial and physical or immaterial, they are given more limited authority. But the prince of this world is given much more authority. That would be, as a comparison at least, the prince of this world is the most high god of the, let's say, the evil side, the left-hand side of the spiritual realm of demons and things of this nature, you would have them subject to the most high God of that realm, which would be the prince of this world. Whereas in the kingdom of God, the most high God and the most high God overall would be God the Father, and God the Father is over all of the spiritual beings that are in that kingdom. That would be what we think of as the angels, if you're familiar with your Bible. So if we play out the idol imagery with the kingdom of God in the biblical example, there is a narrative there as well. So with that, you had God creating the heavens and the earth in the beginning, in the very first verses of Genesis chapter 1, and once heaven and earth are created and established, what does God do? He places a garden, a special place. It is uh, thought to be, at least traditionally, on high, and it is a place that would be analogous to a temple, but it is different than the other temp temples. It's not man-made, number one, it's God-made, and also it's not made with stone and wood and all of these materials built together. It's a temple that is 100% natural. He built a temple out of nature and made this perfect place on earth, and that would be the Garden of Eden. So there is your temple. And then as far as the provisions, like in the other examples, humans would give provisions for the gods. They would give them housing. They would bring them food. They would give them sacrifices, all these things. Well, again, the kingdom of God is always the opposite. It's the inversion of, for example, the Church of Woke and many of these other religions. And so the inversion of man supplying goods and things to the gods would be 
God supplying goods and things to man. And that's exactly what happens. You have God actually placing all of these plants that produce all the good tasting fruit and all of the things that man needs. They are all provided for him there in the garden. They have shelter, they have food, they have all the things. And so, again, it's this inversion where God is giving this to man, whereas in all the other tales, you have man trying to supply these things to the gods. When it comes to an idol, it's also an inversion of the others, but in an interesting way here. So on one hand, it's the same as the Church of Woke, where the idol is the man. God puts something in his image in the temple to establish that temple. That's the way it is. And that is the vehicle for God to manifest his will on the earth. The human is supposed to multiply and subdue the earth to bring it into its full potential that God has for it. That is the job of the human being. And the human being, again, is the idol, in a sense, figuratively, that gets placed in the figurative temple in the Garden of Eden and is the the end, the last thing that is done in the creation story, just like when the ancients would build a temple, the very last thing was to place a god in that temple, to place an idol that a god would come and inhabit. And that's the same thing that happens here. And again, that is the same as the Church of Woke. I said, what is the idol? It is the self. But the difference here, again, it's that inversion where it's not a self-centered thing. It is the human being that is the idol, both in the Church of Woke and in the Kingdom of God, the biblical account. But the difference here is that with the Church of Woke, it is all about the self. It's all about doing everything for yourself. Whereas in the kingdom of God, it is all about serving God and serving others. So you are serving God 100% and all that God wants done. The human is to manifest that in this material world. And in addition to that, as man is acting in this material world, man is supposed to be acting for the best interests of the other humans, as well as all of nature and all of God's creation. And so it's not about the self. It's the exact opposite. You are acting in the best interest of everyone else and everything else. And so again, it's the inversion. So you, it's really interesting how there are all of these parallels where things play out pretty much the same. You see the same story, you see the same symbols, but in a lot of ways, the meanings and some of the ways that they manifest themselves are complete opposites and they're inversions. So it's this really interesting dynamic that goes on here. It's not that these ancient peoples just were dumb. It's not that they didn't know how the world works and so just made up all these uh, gods and stories to answer all the questions that they couldn't answer themselves because they didn't have the science that we have today. Now, I'm sure there were times when a similar story like that did play out. But in general, people were experiencing mystical things. People experienced the supernatural, the spiritual. They communicated with the spiritual world in different ways, and they tried to explain what this was. They tried to seek what it was. They tried to find the power in this other realm and use that to their advantage. There are a lot of different ways that there were interactions between the material, between humanity, and the spiritual, the immaterial world. And so we get all of these stories, these religions, these different accounts. These are mostly stemming from an attempt at explaining reality and trying to tell the story the way that they see it or the way that it has been told to them, which it would make sense that if this story was being relayed to them by a lesser god, by a spiritual being that was in rebellion to the Most High God, that the story that that god would tell them would be one that would be perverted or inverted from the truth, from the way that things really played out. Now, because of all of this, because of this structure, this is why our battle isn't only secular and material, because the opposition isn't solely either one. It's not just secular. It's not just material. It's not just material. It's not just immaterial. It's a mix of all of these things. It's not just secular or religious. It's all of it. it there are aspects of all, and they are manifested 
rhizomatically, which is something that makes it extra difficult. If you were fighting a battle against the octopus, against the Anglo-American establishment, against that aspect, that entity, that self-sustaining system, that ideology, whatever you want to call it, if you're battling that, that is an arborescent manifestation where there are hierarchies, there are structures, there are material aspects that you can point to. Yes, this foundation and yes, this corporation and this thing here and that thing there, these are the things involved. These are the people involved. This is the set ideology they follow. Probably eugenics would be one of the prime ideologies there. And so you can point out these things. It is, again, arborescent, like a tree. And it's like a tree that is one tree. Most species of trees, they have one tree with one root system, and that is just what it is, and it all serves its function. And so, again, kind of breaking from the way that Vin used the analogy of a tree and separating it between the roots and the tree itself— Let's talk about different types of trees. One tree is a tree with a root system, and that is it. The other tree, and this would be the tree of the Church of Woke, not the tree of the octopus. The tree of the octopus, again, is that standalone tree. The And there are, again, there are rhizomatic aspects to that tree. There is a root system. There is a deeper level of things going on there, but it is all working for the one tree, and it is still overall fairly structured. Whereas, if you think of the example I mentioned about the whole forest of trees that are one organism, the core of that organism is the rhizomatic layer. Yes, there are trees, but... All of those trees are just genetically identical. They're the same organisms. They're just different offshoots of that one organism. You can't look at the tree and identify the tree and say, hey, that is the organism. No, it is not. It is this crazy vast network of rhizomes. It's more rhizomatic. And that is what is going on with the Church of Woke. That what That's what makes it so hard to deal with is because it is rhizomatic, because it is immaterial, and we are coming out of a materialistic secular world with a materialistic secular mindset and it, it's just really hard to comprehend, to figure out, to to analyze, and to identify. And it is anyway. Even if you get that mindset, it's still hard to identify things if they are rhizomatic. And I mentioned that. How do you identify an elephant and what an elephant is? Well, its identity is very different if you're looking at it rhizomatically versus arborescently. And so that's part of the issue here. I'm going to state something once. I actually wrote down this sentence. Usually I don't write down entire sentences. I just have a few bullet points, but I wrote this one down and I'm going to state it once and then go back and state it again with examples. And this is it. While we fight the material manifestations and the arborescent hierarchical structure, the deeper battle is spiritual. It is a battle against a religion, against a god, but manifested through material machines and immaterial ideologies. And so going back, while we fight the material manifestations, material manifestations, that would be censorship, that would be political correctness, that would be indoctrination and propaganda, these types of things that interact with us material beings— and the arborescent hierarchical structure. Here I'm talking about corporations, about politicians, about political parties, about influencers, media, foundations. That's the arborescent hierarchical structure of the Church of Woke that we're dealing with. So we're fighting material manifestations and arborescent hierarchical structures. And then, so the next part, the deeper battle is spiritual. It's a battle against a religion, against a god. And so I've laid out the religion is the church of woke. The god must be the prince of this world. But all of this is manifested through material machines. And by machines, I use that in a philosophical term where a machine can be really anything. It's any complex system of any kind that can achieve a certain goal and perform a certain function. So a person can be a machine, a corporation can be a machine, a computer can be a machine. So again, that is the way I am using that term machine. So uh, all of these things are manifested through material machines and modes and an immaterial ideology. It's both. It's a combination of both of these things. The ideology is the religion. It is the doctrine. But again, as I've mentioned before, it's a fluid one. There is no set religious text. There is no set religious leader. There is no set priestly class or high priest. So 
again, it's very rhizomatic. Well, something can pop up here and something can pop up there and something can get chopped off and something can join back up. But it's all going to be focused around that one giant organism underground, that one giant root system that is the thing. And that is very rhizomatic. And so that's what we are dealing with here. And so with the Church of Woke, everything, all people, all individuals become one in the Church of Woke. It is one organism. There is uniformity. There is conformity. That is what's going on here. And that's why you see this being promoted. That's the idea behind equality. That's the idea even behind diversity. Again, it's playing with the language. It's using magic here. Diversity is not about all of us acting differently and being diverse. It's about incorporating a diversity of people into one social body, one coherent system into the church of woke, one organism. And so, although there are many different trees, and those trees might be in different stages of growth and have different branches, um, one might have five branches, one might have 10, one might have 50, depending on its age and how many leaves it has might be different. There is some diversity. Even so, all of those trees are genetically identical. They're the same thing. They're all part of the same organism. That is the Church of Woke, bringing all things into one social body. Think Brave New World. It's all about the social body, a coherent society. And that brings me to my second to last final point here, and that would be a tree comparison. We're using this symbolism of a tree, and it works really well. And so recently, I was listening to Jonathan Paggio, thanks to Vin's recommendation, and I guess you haven't heard it yet. At the end of the interview, he recommends Jonathan Paggio, among some other things. And so I've been binging on his podcasts and videos, and uh, then get in, got involved with his brother, and got involved with another orthodox podcast called Lord of Spirits, and that one's been super interesting, and I've gotten a lot of stuff out of all these. And again, I'm just binging on it and soaking in on all of these different things. But uh, part of that, I got this idea of the trees in the Garden of Eden. There are multiple trees that are being discussed. And so I took that idea and then applied it and overlaid it onto this pattern that we're dealing with here. And that's what I do. I find patterns, I find parallels, and I find structures, and then I apply them to what I'm trying to figure out. And it works really well. And so that is what I did here. And so with this, we have these different trees in the Garden of Eden. And obviously, if I'm talking about the biblical account of the Garden of Eden, this is going to be the image of the kingdom of God. Now, the main tree, the first tree, is the tree of life. And so that is the one at the center of the garden. Then you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree of enlightenment. Then you have a reference to the fig tree because they covered themselves with a fig leaf. That is an aspect of covering. As you get later in the Bible, that's about atonement, the covering of sins, the forgiveness of sins, a, a covering, a hiding of your shame and the things you have done wrong. And so the final tree would be the reference to thorns and thistles that will then protect the garden in a way. And so that is a defense in a sense. And it's also a punishment to mankind for the falling away from the ideals of the garden, for leaving the garden. Now you're going to have to deal with these types of trees as well. And so with this, you have these four trees. And then I wanted to overlay the Church of Woke onto this and do a parallel here. And uh, at first I was like, well, how do I do this? And then I was just like, well, you just do it. And it should fall into place. If the parallel is good, if the pattern is good, if it is correct, if it is actually explaining reality, then it can work by just plugging things in. And so, of course, you need some discernment and what to plug in and where and that kind of thing. But uh, I feel the structure and the pattern is true. And so with this, what we do is that we then incorporate the Church of Woke into this idea of these four trees. And the Church of Woke is always, again, an inversion of the kingdom of God. It's a perversion, a bastardization. It's the opposite of the kingdom of God in pretty much every single way. And so with this, well, we can just look at the opposite, and that's how we identify it. And that should fit. And I did that. And sure enough, it did. So uh, as I mentioned in a previous episode about the Church of Woke being all about death, well, of course, that's the opposite of life, the tree of life versus the tree of death, whether it be supporting 
abortion or assisted suicide or cancel culture, all of these things. Again, I mentioned those examples in another episode. I won't go over it again. But the Church of Woke is all about fighting for death, whereas the Church of God, the kingdom of God, is all about fighting for life. And the same thing with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's all about enlightenment. That's the idea that man gains wisdom and knows good and evil and knows the difference between the two. They can recognize sin. And this is the kingdom of God tree. But the church of woke version of this tree, again, is just the opposite. It's not about actual enlightenment. It's not about there being a difference between right and wrong. We're going to say that they're all the same. There's no such thing as right and wrong. We're going to mask that enlightenment. We are going to tell you what to believe. It is not about you using critical thinking. It's about just receiving what the church of woke doctrine is through osmosis in a sense. You just you just get it from the culture and it tells you what to think and what to do. That is not true wisdom and enlightenment. There, again, is no difference between good and evil. They don't identify that way because it's the opposite of the tree from the kingdom of God. And as we get into the fig leaf that is covering up their sin, covering up their shame, their nakedness, well, the Church of Woke says there is no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with things like pornography and homosexuality and lots of things like this that are specifically listed in the kingdom of God as being wrong, as being immoral. And I apologize if I offend anybody. Again, I'm not necessarily making a value judgment saying that abortion is wrong and bad and homosexuality is wrong and bad. I am not personally saying these things. That's not my point. My point is that the Bible actually says these things. So if I'm using the Bible as the example and as the parallel, then I'm going to say what the Bible says. And so I am just relaying that information and I am just drawing conclusions based on what's there and analyzing what is there in reality. So whether or not you think homosexuality is wrong or whether it is a good, I'm just saying it's an inversion between the two examples of the Church of Woke and the Kingdom of God. They say opposite things about that one subject because everything is an inversion. Everything's a perversion. It's a perversion of the natural way. And if you think anatomically how that process works between a man and a woman, that is the, it, it is natural. You have one thing that works well with another thing and they pair together well and they work well together. Whereas if you have two of the same thing trying to work together, that, that doesn't necessarily work in the same natural way. And so again, when you go with the natural order, the logos, the divine order of the universe, the natural way, what occurs out in nature, what we can see, uh, that is different than what the Church of Woke says. They say that we create what should work and shouldn't work, and we make it work, we change it, we manipulate it. And so going back to the example of the fig leaf, and this being about ultimately about forgiveness, it's ultimately about God forgiving sins, it's having a covering, having atonement for the things that you do wrong, and receiving protection and forgiveness for this, well, the opposite of forgiveness is what? Retribution. It's judgment. That's what the Church of Woke is. It's all about calling people out. It's all about attacking them. It's all about judging them for the things that they have done and said, even if it was in their long, distant past, even if it was their ancestors. We're still going to call them out and judge them and punish them for it. We want retribution. That is what we are doing if we are part of the Church of Woke, at least. And that is obviously the opposite of forgiveness and covering up those wrongs and those evils and changing ways. No, it's about punishment. And those are two different things. Those are opposites. That's an inversion. And so the final thing is that the thorns and the thistles are about protection and they're about divine judgment and fairness. And so with this, you have the opposite then used by the Church of Woke. It's about using thorns and thistles as weaponry. It's not about protection. It's about the offense. Like I talked about with the armor of God, it's not about defense. It's about offense. It's not that the Most High God, the creator of the universe, set something up in a certain way. We failed 
to fall in line with that. And so we necessarily have consequences for our actions. The Church of Woke says, no, these aren't consequences. This isn't true righteousness. This is not the way the world should work. If it doesn't suit us, then we just change it. We're not going to deal with consequences. There are no consequences because we are going to be able to dominate nature. We are going to be able to handle all things, to change all things, to manipulate all things. Again, an inversion. And that is the difference between the Church of Woke and the Kingdom of God, these two opposing viewpoints, these two opposing kingdoms. And again, going back to the idea of the religious and the spiritual versus the secular, the material, and how these aren't necessarily always the same thing, the religious can also be the spiritual. So if you are someone that believes in nature and you definitely, maybe you oppose the Bible, maybe you oppose any kind of organized religion, but you believe that nature is the ideal and that we should be more in line with nature. We should take care of the environment. We should organize our lives around natural rhythms, these types of things. You're coming in tune with the exact same thing I'm talking about. That's the natural way. That's the logos. That's what I'm referring to as the divine order of the universe. I'll talk about logos in a future episode, but that's what's going on here. It's the same thing. So it's not necessarily just the Christian perspective. It can be a spiritual perspective from a different perspective, but still talking about the same thing and the same ideology and the same inversion of the Church of Woke. They are still opposites. They are still different. And so again, there's layers upon layers that you can extract from this. Now, I want to end this with a slight side note here that I think deserves clarification and elaboration on, and that would be about masks. So Vin mentioned how if you see somebody wearing a mask, that that is a talisman of the Church of Woke, that they are symbolizing the Church of Woke and everything that it stands for. And In many cases, I would agree that is the case, and I am sure Vin would also agree that that is not every single case, but I I think that does deserve to be said and mentioned a little more here because it is very easy for us to judge other people, especially if we know the science behind it or we know the corruption behind it or we know some of the end games that are going on. We can identify the Church of Woke and know what they are doing and see that that is an evil thing that is against the natural order of things. And so when we see someone going along with the Church of Woke, that is very easy to judge. But not everyone that is wearing a mask is actually going along with the Church of Woke. So you've got one branch of people that are playing the gray man. They are playing the person that is fitting in. They are not standing out. They are just going smoothly through the grains of society without being able to to be identified and picked out and treated differently. And there are times that I play this role as well. It is a valuable way to go about things. So that would be one way that some people act when they are wearing a mask in public. Another way would be that they legitimately want to protect themselves or want to protect somebody else. And so they are trying not to catch the virus, even if they know that it is not the 4% fatality rate that they originally thought. It is still something that does kill people. It is still something that is very contagious, and it is still a virus that gets you sick. Some people just don't want to get sick, and I can totally understand that. And so with that, let me lay out some of the science behind all of this, because there is both a material perspective and an immaterial perspective on both sides. So the material perspective would be that masks, from a scientific point of view, are not significantly effective at stopping the spread of COVID-19, especially the way they are being used. And so with this, there is the caveat that if you wear a properly fitted N95 mask, then that can help you from catching the virus. It can block out viruses. That's what they are designed for. But you can't have facial hair. It has to be a very tight fit. And again, it has to be an N95. And there are even some studies that show that N95s have not drastically decreased the chances of spread. But theoretically, at least, that's what they're made for. And that would be the way to go if you were worried. So if someone was worried about catching it or spreading it, then a properly fitted N95 would be the way to go. 
Now, all of these studies show that cloth masks do either nothing to stop the spread or they actually increase the spread. And in most of the studies that I saw, at least, I saw two of them that specifically looked at cloth masks and both said that they increase the spread. There is higher transmission among the cloth mask group than the no mask group. And then with surgical masks, the whole point with those is that they block droplets and they also block things from droplets from coming up into your own face. They're made for uh, surgical situations. And this is to stop the spread of bacterial issues, not viral issues. Or if it was a sickness that was spread specifically through droplets, then a surgical mask would be helpful. With this virus being airborne, we know that now, that is admitted now, then the surgical mask doesn't really do anything against that. That's not what they're designed for. All of these masks, aside from N95s, the manufacturers themselves say that this is not what they are designed to do and they do not work for this. You could also look at OSHA. You can look at the CDC. You can look at various governments around the world. There are all kinds of studies that say the exact same thing. All of these things I can back up by science and data and research. And if you go to the website, click the tab, the drop-down tab, there is a section for COVID-19, and I actually have linked all of these different studies that talk about masks specifically. So from a scientific perspective, from a material perspective, masks, the way they are used, are not effective. And then from a more immaterial perspective, well, they do a lot of things that aren't necessarily material. They propagate propaganda and lies. They dehumanize people. It cuts communication. The majority of communication, I think roughly 80%, is supposed to be nonverbal. And the majority of that comes from facial expressions. And when you block facial expressions, then you're cutting that aspect of communication, which is supposed to be the majority of communication. And so that's not really a good thing. The other material issue is that it prohibits child development. So as kids learn how to interact in society, how to read people, how to communicate with people, all of these things, and they grow up in an environment where everyone has a mask over their face, except for maybe the people in their household and a handful of others, but the majority of people they see are covered up, they're not able to develop in those ways like they should, like they normally would. And so with all of this, there is an increase in de-socialization. It is breaking down the socialization of people and face-to-face relationships, all these things. So you see the aspects of depression and suicide rates and all of these things. Now, a lot of this has to do with not just masks, but also lockdowns and other reactions. But there is this immaterial aspect. And so on the flip side of this debate, you have the fact that people's perception is that all of these masks help to fight the spread of COVID and they help protect them. These people have fear. There is a lot of division. There's a lot of animosity. They feel unloved. They feel uncared for if someone around them doesn't have a mask on because according to their perception, at least, whether it's true or not, they feel that masks keep people safe. And if you are not wearing a mask, then you are not keeping them safe. You are actively, intentionally doing something that puts people's lives at risk. Therefore, you are not a good person. And so, again, even if, as I mentioned earlier, that is not true, that's not scientific, that's not coming out of the medical community writ large, that's what people believe and that's how people perceive it. For the immaterial aspect of this, they don't see it. They just don't see the immaterial. They see wearing a mask as just a minor inconvenience. Oh, you just put it on for a short while. It's for the good of everyone. It's not that big of a deal. It doesn't inconvenience you that much. It's just this small token of caring for others. And again, they don't link it to all of these other aspects I mentioned earlier. And so my personal problem is I don't want to care for other people's feelings. I want to be considerate of others. I want to be loving towards others. But unfortunately, in this situation, at least according to my own assessment, my personal opinion is that what is truly loving, speaking the truth in love, is to actually speak the truth and to live that out. And what the truth is, is that wearing a cloth mask or a surgical mask is not helpful. 
that that does not help anything. If anything, it gives people a false sense of safety and security that actually probably leads to more spread. You even have Fauci who came out with a paper way before COVID came out, and he called out the fact that masks led to more deaths during the Spanish flu than the flu itself, that people were getting bacterial pneumonia and that this was a larger contributor than the actual virus and that there were a lot of problems with that. So again, these aren't new ideas. And so I don't want to propagate a lie. I don't want to dehumanize people. I don't want to support this. I don't want to propagate these things that I believe are harmful to society as a whole and to individuals. And so that's kind of just where I stand. I stand on the side of truth, of medical accuracy, of scientific fact, of relationships, communication, intangible human value. That's my stance. I definitely stand against lies and propaganda and pandering to someone that has a false perception or that is brainwashed in some way. I stand against dehumanization, child abuse of all forms. These are the things I am against. And so that is why, personally, I cannot support the use and wearing of masks in a public setting. Now, again, there are times that I do this. Uh, sometimes I have to for my job and other various reasons. But in general, this is my stance and this is why I have that stance. But with the relationship to what Vin was saying, that people wear masks and that is a talisman of the Church of Woke, that is overall true. They don't realize that they are worshiping the Church of Woke and following their doctrines, most people at least. Most people think they are honestly helping others. And then some are doing the virtue signaling and directly involving themselves in this act of worship and obedience to the Church of Woke, this kind of thing. Uh, there are plenty that do that. Like if you see someone riding in their car by themselves with a mask on or running outside on the side of the road by themselves with a mask on, that doesn't make any sense. That is virtue signaling or it is complete ignorance and Hope, uh, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. There is no telling. I'm sure with every individual, it's different. But either way, it is not something that is being done according to the science and the facts and the truth of this whole scenario and how masks relate to COVID-19. Now, the issue here is how do we deal with these others? How do we deal with these people? How do we deal with people that are in line with Church of Woke doctrine, whether they realize it or not? How do we deal with these people? Because obviously we have to interact with them on a daily basis now in our current society. Well, I would say personally, again, my personal opinion is that we treat them with love. We pity them. We don't make fun of them or yell at them or create conflict with them. Instead, uh, it should make us sad that people are living this life where they're constantly stressed and they're fearful and they're worried. And you have children that aren't able to learn and develop the way that they should. You have breakdowns in communication. You have people feeling isolated, getting depressed. All of these things should make us sad that other human beings are having to deal with this. That's not a good thing. And so to me, that is the stance that we should have, that we should have that stance of pity versus a stance of judgment. I don't think that judgment is the proper way to go about things. Uh, and with that, I would say that if I am asked, and I have been asked before, about my lack of mask usage, I will explain it. And I will explain it in a way where I try to be non-confrontational. I try to just lay out things very simply. I don't get into anything related to conspiracy or propaganda or anything like that. I basically just lay out like I did at the beginning of uh, this little section of this talk where I said that the scientific research basically doesn't support this. And I might, you know, say specifically how it does not. But 
that's about it. And so I try to go easy on people. It's kind of like if they wonder why I won't salute the flag and sing the worship song of the state. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into the whole spill on anarchism. Uh, I will just, you know, try to make a very short and very considerate uh, version of my beliefs and relay them that way. And if someone wants to legitimately discuss it and talk about it, that would be great. But most people don't. And so I don't want to rub that in people's faces. I don't want to judge them. I don't want to say, oh, you're just a sheep and you're just following orders and these people are corrupt and, you know, on and on and on. We could do that. I don't believe that that is an effective way of handling things. And so that's, again, my perspective. Since I am looking at the biblical example for a lot of these parallels, and we're getting into the early church as the parallel to how to have an effective movement in a society that you don't agree with, a kingdom within a kingdom kind of perspective, uh, I will lay out the, uh, the biblical support to this idea of not judging others that are in other groups. And so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. It says, for what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Isn't it those who are part of the community that you should be judging, God will judge those who are outside. Just expel the evildoers from among yourselves. So the point here is that if someone claims to follow a certain ideology, to follow Christianity, to follow something, and yet they are doing something different, they are a hypocrite when it comes to that thing, then that is the person you should judge if you are also part of that community they are claiming to be a part of. If it is somebody else outside of that community, outside of that ideology, who believes something different than you, then that is not your role to judge them and look down on them and call them out in that way. And again, that is my opinion. That is the biblical perspective. But I understand that many people have different opinions on this subject here. Now, getting back to the overall framework that we are dealing with, looking at the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man or the church of woke versus whatever else you want to call the natural path, you can look at this through all of these various layers. When you look at the religious layer, that can give you the why. It can give you the ought. It can give you the spiritual how as far as understanding things that are going on and understanding the self-sustaining systems and things like this. Whereas the mystical view, the immaterial view that is not spiritual or religious, they more provide the what and the how that this thing is materially manifested. And so that's providing a different layer, a different bit of information. Not that it's not valuable. I say both are valuable and both should be looked at. But either way, there are these powers, and whether that be benign self-sustaining systems or spiritual entities, there are these powers that alter, that manipulate, that act in the material world, although they are immaterial powers. And so this is something that we really need to focus on. You always have a religion at play over a nation or a system or a people group or a culture. And with the modern example, the church was dominant until the nation state came into being and rose to dominance. And there was plenty of overlap there. Go back to season two of this podcast where I talk about basically that whole shift in the Reformation and that's where it led to. But even the nation state became a religion. Americanism became a religion. Statism, to be more precise, became a religion. And that was the religion. It's a secular religion, but it is a religion. And that kind of filled that gap, but it was found to be empty. That was good for the material age, but as we are getting into an age that is not sensate, but is ideational, that is spiritual, that is mystical, that's where the new religion comes into play, and that would be the Church of Woke. And again, like every other shift, there is a big overlap here. And so the Church of Woke comes into play here, and it starts to take over society in a sense. And so you have a religion that is always dominant over a system or over a nation, and that religion does shift, it does change, and it does correlate with whatever phase of the cycle that we are in. 
And so to use this as an example for a self-sustaining system, what about big tech? That is an entity we discuss a lot. We use that phrase, big tech. Vin mentioned it. I have mentioned it many times, even before doing this interview, as an example of you know an entity that has a lot of influence in our modern society. And big tech, there is going to be a religion behind big tech. And that is the Church of Woke. That That is the religion. There is a religion behind the military-industrial complex. That is statism. And so there are these religions, these ideologies, and other immaterial drives that exist behind all of these systems. And so I just hope that I am doing a good job at relaying all of these different layers because there is a lot going on here. And it gets a little complex. It gets a little kind of high-minded, so to say. And you've got to look at things from totally different perspectives. And I'm combining all of these different views and perspectives. So hopefully that is coming across to you well. If you are struggling with any of these things, or if something that I said or an example I used didn't make sense to you, reach out to me and let me know. You are always free to email me. And I love when you, the listener, email me and give me feedback and tell me what you like, what you don't like, questions that you have. That is the way that I can make sure that this show addresses what you want. I can meet the demand in the market, so to say, by getting that feedback. And that is about the only way that I can meet that demand is if I know about that demand. And hearing it straight from you is the easiest way for me and the most effective and efficient way to do that. So please do email me and please do give me your feedback. Please do leave a rating and a review for this podcast if you have not done so already. I haven't seen any new reviews in the past probably a few months and probably longer than that even. I don't really have very many for this show, but that would be helpful if I did. So if you feel so inclined, please do leave a review and a rating. That really helps. Thank you again to all the patrons. Thank you to everybody who is just a listener, a subscriber. Please share this podcast with other people that you think might be interested and that might get something out of this. Hopefully this can be used as a tool to help to spread some of these ideas, help to enlighten people about these perspectives that are not very common, that are not often seen. Please also come back next time as I play the next section of the Ben Armani interview. This will be part three where we get into a lot of stuff, phasing more into things related to the spiritual, things related to prayer. He brings up a lot of interesting things that I think will really resonate with you if you have been interested in this series so far. The people that have heard the entire interview from start to finish, they pretty much all, almost all, have commented when I've received feedback from them that that aspect of spirituality and prayer that Vin starts to get into in this next part was an aspect that really stood out to them. And so I think that's something that you can look forward to. And with that, I will depart. Thanks again. I'm out. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.